Satan dwell on his love with sweetest song, and infant voices shall proclaim their early blessings on his name. You may be seated. It's a scriptural truth that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is equally true that though our sins are as scarlet, they'll be white as snow if we confess our sins and seek God's forgiveness. Let us join together now and confess our sins to God. God, our Father, creator of heaven and earth, we come to you in confession, admitting how much we have missed your mark. We admit the times we have prayed to get out of our trials rather than to grow deeper in the inner man by your spirit. We confess the times we have not let you have total access to the residence of our hearts because we have things we don't want you to see and change in us. We realize in doing that we haven't been rooted as deeply as we could be and how doubtful and fear can easily collapse our faith. Lord, remove the barriers that hold us from experiencing your fullness. We realize that all this is possible because you are able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. And we are grateful that you have given us this inheritance as your adopted children through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our assurance of pardon Today comes from Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. Our guidelines for living, Ephesians 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Once again, as you're able, please rise and join us as we continue our worship. Come and fill our homes with your presence. You alone are worthy of our reverence. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Lord, we bow to the As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Sing together. Praying to 
mighty storm we can weather, trusting in God's word. We need each other, fathers and mothers, sisters and brothers, in harmony and love. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up till I lay my head I will sing of the goodness and all my life you have been faithful and all life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of your voice you have led me through the fire in the darkest night you are like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend I have lived in the goodness and all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been so so
regret that I am able, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. And all my life you have been faithful, and all my life you have been so, so good. That I am able, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Say brother and sister around here, it's because we're a family and these folks are so near. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. From the door of an orphanage to the house of the king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God I belong. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. You may be seated. The ever-popular Amazing Grace was written by John Newton in 1779, and the tune is a traditional American melody which was arraigned for this hymn in 1900 by Edwin Exel. The scripture reference for this great hymn comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting from verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things... Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, 
He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for that amazing grace that allows us to come before you today as sinners that were saved by your grace. And how fortunate it is, Lord, even how gratuitous it is that you have loved us so much that you sent your Son on the cross for us and to die for us, paid the ultimate price. And we are just so grateful for that alone, but then also to Lord, you've provided us so many good things as we just sang the goodness of you. You've provided us with homes and family and loved ones, for mothers and fathers and for opportunities, Lord, galore. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have. Because of you, God, we give you praise and honor and glory. Please receive these gifts as a token of our gratitude to all that you've done for us and more that we don't even see. In your name we pray. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Let's come into the presence of the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful, Lord, for this wonderful day. Every day that we can get up, 
get our feet on the floor and move forward. What a blessing it is. We give you praise and thanksgiving that we are able to come before you this morning. And you call us your children and we are able to bring to you all our struggles, our concerns, and our joys. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful blessings that you've given to us. We thank you for this great country and how you have helped us and shown us these years how blessed America really is. We thank you for our early fathers of this country who basically framed it around the word. And I pray, Father God, that our new and the people who are in government now, Lord, that they will get that heart. And Lord, that we can see wonderful things going on. We see a lot of negative, Lord. We hear a lot of negative. But Lord, we ask you, Father, that you will work your hand and bring revival. I pray especially, Lord, to the house of God, to the church that needs so much to change and bring about this revival. I pray, Lord, for men and women whose hearts will burn for you, for churches that will burn for you and desire what is right and good. We thank you for those who protect us every day. And I pray, Lord, you continue to bless their work. We pray also too, Father God, for those, Lord, we know that are, would love to be here this morning but can't because they're shut in and they're at their homes. I think of Bill and Evelyn and Lucille and Karen and Kay and Joyce, Father. Lord, they have illnesses that are going through right now. We pray also too, Father God, it's so good to see our brother Daryl here today as he lost his wife this week. I just pray you'll bring comfort to him and his daughter and his family as they grieve that loss and make adjustments to their lives. We pray, Heavenly Father, too. For those who are battling deep sickness, and we thank you, Lord, especially for Judy here today and for the healing of her leg. We thank you, Lord, also for Everett and for his healing. We ask you, Lord, to continue to bless him and be with the doctors as they continue to work with him. I pray, Heavenly Father, too, for Todd and for his heart issues and for Angie, for her cancer, and Samantha, also with her cancer, and also for Jason, who is receiving chemo treatments right now, Lord, for his cancer. I pray, Father God, too, for those who we know that are friends of ours that struggle with addictions and have problems in their lives because of it. We ask you, Holy Father, to be with Ryan and Jordan and David and Eric and Ricky and Mitch, these who are battling those addictions in their lives. I pray also, too, Lord, we give thanks for our mothers today. In fact, how much we are so blessed I know, Father, I can't thank you enough for the mother and father that I had. We're now with you, Jesus, in heaven. And we thank you, God, for that and for the hope of seeing them again. We pray for those parents, Lord, who are struggling today. Maybe because they lost a child or childs are in rebellion or children who are abusive to them. 
I pray, Father God, that you move in their hearts to change that and you bring love where they need to love their parents rather and honor them as the scriptures say. And Father God, we pray, Father, too, for others in our community that are battling things like marriage. I pray for James, Lord, continue to strengthen him through the battle. I pray also, too, for others that we know who have difficulties in their marriages, things that are blocking them from enjoying the freedom and joy, Christ, that you want them to experience in you. Pray for those who are struggling with forgiveness and those who struggle with other things that we're unaware of. Jesus, we lay them before you. And now, Father God, as we come to you this day, help us. We need your help, Lord. Life's pressures, life's difficulties challenge us. And we know that, Lord, and we need you as your word again will not disappoint us. But as Isaiah says, it will bear forth fruit. And springs of life-giving water will come to our souls as we become obedient to your word. And you fill us with the Holy Spirit to enact them. And now, Father God, be with us as you bring to us from your word what we need to hear. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A number of years ago, Douglas Aircraft and Boeing were in competition to land an aircraft deal with Eastern Airlines, which at that time was run by the war hero, Eddie Rickenbacker. And Donis Douglas, Donald Douglas had the DC-8 that they were trying to push to Eastern Airlines to buy, and Boeing had their own beautiful plane. And what had happened is it came down to one item in the whole list. And it was the noise factor in the cabin of the plane. And they found out what the plane had for Boeing. And Eddie Rickenbacker called Donald Douglas and said, what about your plane? How is that? Well, Donald Douglas said, I'll check. And he called his engineers and they gave him the specs. And they realized that they didn't have quite where Boeing was at that point. And Donald Douglas called back Eddie Rickenbacker and said, I'd love to tell you a different story, but we have not resolved the noise issue. And Eddie Rickenbacker said, I am so grateful as a friend that you were honest with me. And you weren't attempted to try to change and fudge on the facts. How many times do you and I get challenged to be tempted to do something we shouldn't? Or are we tempted with our thoughts in our minds? Or some of the actions that we do? How many times are we tempted in front of the TV set when we see certain images that come before us, or that we sit in front of a computer, or even talking to a friend, 
Not wanting to hurt them, we maybe fudge on telling them the truth. The truth of the matter is we're all tempted. Each one of us, every day. Every Christian life has temptation. There are people who in this world don't know they're being tempted, but really are. We had a young man come to know Christ in one of our Bible studies, and he was talking about how he used to lust at the why of the girls who were running around in yoga pants. He didn't realize, even though he grew up in the church, that he was committing sin. Until he came to know Christ and we began to study the scriptures, he realized that was wrong. And we know there's a lot of confusion, folks, today about temptation, about the devil, and sin. And in our society today, some people even believe that those terms are archaic. Today in the Bible, we're going to look at some basic information at first to understand what God thinks about this stuff. We begin with Jesus. He was just baptized. And we hear, and when Jesus was baptized immediately, he went up from the water and behold, the heavens opened him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming and resting on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus has this theopony with his disciples. And Jesus is affirmed about who he is and how blessed he is in that he is God's Son. And he's got the Father's approval and that he is going to be doing many great things of bringing us the victory on earth. And he's going to be the second Adam because the first Adam, of course, fell. What we find here, the scriptures tell us, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And folks, you know as well as I do. There are times in our lives that we have spiritual, wonderful experiences. But be prepared when you do have that. Right after that comes the temptation. The challenges to your faith. The more and closer you get to God, the more you desire to be closer to Him, you will be tempted on a greater capacity. And there is temptation that we're going to talk about here in a second that is powerful. And what we're going to see is Jesus, who experienced a wonderful theophany from His Father, affirming His ministry and Telling the disciples who he really is. But then if you notice the spirit of God. Moves him to the desert. Into the wilderness. To the alone place. To be tempted by the devil. And oftentimes we will find that in our own lives. Will you not? I know I do. When you have that experience with God and you sense and you can feel him and then all of a sudden you're tempted. This is nothing new. You remember Elijah who stood up 
against Ahab and Jezebel. 450 prophets of Baal were having sacrifices and they were killing themselves, literally, flagellating themselves, calling upon their wooden God so that they could show that the world, that idolatry is the way to go, and especially Israel. And we know Elijah, faithful to God, stands up to them and mocks them. You would think he was basically Jay Leno on a Saturday night because he was mocking them. And then, after they had done all their gyrations, he said, let me show you the true God. And he had the prophets pour buckets and buckets of water on the wood, on the altars, soaking the wood. And then he calls upon God. And God sends flame and devours these altars with flames. And right after that, Ahab and Jezebel threaten Elijah. And he runs. Runs 40 miles. Hides under a juniper tree. And is doing a woe is me pity party under the juniper tree. And he's saying to God, God, kill me now. Take my life. Suicide by God. You see, that's how it goes sometimes. And it's so easy when that can happen. You know, sometimes we get very complacent. Sometimes we can even be arrogant. And that's when Satan will attack you and me. Right now in our society, you and I know that all this stuff that is happening around us and changing our social world, changing the morals and values, are just not happen chances, folks. There's a malign, sinister being who's behind it. He's telling parents it's okay to have their children have them have a sex change. He's telling them it's okay if you feel like that. Even though they're made in the image of God. Why has this taken place so quickly? Why is the moral value? Why are we in the streets are, are, are fighting and rioting and, and all these people coming up and shooting people? This just isn't happenstance, folks. This is the ev evil, malevolent being who's behind this. That sinful man also has developed a system that's against God. As the Baal, as in, 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 in the worship of Baal, they've made an image of God. We saw how in the New Old Testament, how people built a tower called Babel. Because they wanted to be even with God. This is what's going on in our society today. And it's being driven by a malevolent being called Satan. Now, I know we're going to talk about this. There are some key terms in our world that we need to be established in our lives. One of the words is the word sin. 
Do you realize they are trying to eliminate that from our world? In England, the Oxford Junior Dictionary that they're handing out to children now and selling like hotcakes, they've removed the word sin because they said that it's no longer recognized by the children today. They say it's just a symptom of really indiscretion or lapse of judgment or accident or mistake. And the Bible tells us that's not what it is. It's a defiance of God. It's a transgression, an actual desire to go against God. In fact, we spell the word sin, S-I-N, and the word letter, not I, is in the middle of that. And it's saying, I am better than God. I know better. The Bible here says to us, and again and again, the prodigal son, what did he do? He sinned, the Bible says. And notice what he says if you read in Luke 16. It says, I have sinned first, he says, against God, against heaven, and then against my Father. See, the Bible treats sin very seriously. It's at the bottom of our being. When Adam and Eve, our father and mother, fell in the garden, they put over us sin. Our inner nature is sinful. It desires things that God doesn't want for us. It wants to domain and be ruling in our world. That's what sin is. In fact, our world doesn't even want to accept that. In Finland, a 61-year-old grandmother who's a doctor posted with a picture of the Bible... And she said that the problem here is sin. And a prosecutor picked up on that and they want to put her in jail. By Finnish law, they said, the Bible cannot override Finnish law. And the use of the word sin is harmful. Well, how about that? Why do you think... Ten Commandments have been ripped off walls and schools. Why have the Ten Commandments been ripped off even courthouses? Because people don't want to recognize who they really are and what the Bible says. That it's a tremendous, terrible thing against God. Because they don't recognize God. But then there's another word. We hear it again and hear our scriptures today. Jesus was sent to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. A malign, evil being who Jesus spoke with. There are people today who don't want to believe that there is such a one. Oh, they will say that's a nice concept. It's a mythical character that we try to carry in our heads so we do good. The Bible here says to us that the devil actually came to Jesus. 
to tempt him. There are Christians who don't believe that. And there are temptations we face, folks, generated by Satan and his colleagues. And that sometimes we get two ways in which people look at sin and temptation and the devil. People like to make excuses. Like the one day a guy came into his, because his wife found him, he had been committing adultery with a colleague. And he came to me and said, what can I do to repair my marriage? I said, you may have to quit your job. And you may have to let go of this thing. And then he said the most peculiar thing for me, like he was Superman. Why, this woman's like kryptonite to me. <laughs> what? You're lying to yourself. You don't want to give it up because it's giving you pleasure. That's what the problem is. Satan has tempted you. And you need to quit it. Look at Joseph in the Old Testament. How he was tempted by Potiphar's beautiful wife. And I gave this guy the same instruction that God shows us in the Bible. You got to run from that. You got to run away from it. Get it out of your life. That's what Joseph did. Well, I struggle. It's a tug of war. No, it's not a tug of war. You don't tug a war. You let go your end and run out. That's what you do. Run away from it. Temptation is the desire within you. And Satan taken in trying to drive you to do things pleasurably for yourself. Trying to drive you to do that. And that transgression. You see, temptation is not a sin. No matter how much you're tempted, as long as you don't give in to the temptation, you have not sinned. Jesus was tempted, but without sin, because he conquered it, would not give himself into it. And you see, temptation is the pull, the desire to pull you into something that's against God and to cause you to sin. James says it's like a, a fast rolling river. Don't even get in. Because as you wade and all of a sudden you get to one point and it picks you up and takes you where you do not want to go. That's what it does. You see, temptation is not a sin. It's the battle to not sin. And this is the third term that we need to understand here today. And that is Satan. 
There are a lot of people who don't believe in this malevolent being. Sometimes when you mention it, they look at you as if you have three heads. But they're denying the very thing that's behind a lot of stuff. Where did the Holocaust come from? Where did the atrocities of slavery come from? How about the wars, the genocides, the millions of people being slaughtered, and the babies being slaughtered in America, or the sex trafficking in America, or the 40 million people that are enslaved still in this world today? Where's that all come from? Where's the hatred? the violence, the racism. Some people will look and say, well, you're intellectually naive to think that there's a powerful force. Friends, just look at them and say, no, you're naive because you're not looking at what is real. The Bible says to us as Christians that inside of us, The Holy Spirit of Jesus is greater in us than he that's in this world, Satan, and his minions. And yet, tragically, George Barna, who basically does a lot of research, listened to what he had come up with when he asked the question, and not the question, made the statement, Satan is not a living being of Christians and their churches. 40% strongly agree that Satan's not a living being. 17% believe somewhat that's a true statement. 9% disagreed. 26% disagreed strongly. And 6% were not sure. And yet Jesus speaks to the devil. We need to understand that the one who took Adam and Eve and deceived them and brought to this world the suffering and pain, the cancers, all that stuff, we're under the curse right now because of their decision. And yet Jesus Christ is the one who's going to correct that. And he does so on the cross. But you see, the problem that we have is there's also people in the church, knowledgeable people, who have said that it's not so. A lot of mainline church theologians who came out And said, how could this be that there be a devil? As if you're insane if you think and believe that. Rudolf Boltmann, German theologian, during the 50s. And he came through a seminary where he was involved with a guy by the name of Heidegger who believed that the only thing that is real is what we see and experience and touch. An existentialist. And he came out with this statement, and many churches, along with Tillich, 
promoted that there is no such thing as the devil. This is why you have friends that are Christians who don't believe this. Let me read you the quote. It is impossible to use electric light and wireless and avail ourselves to modern medical and surgical discoveries and at the same time believe in the New Testament world of demons and spirits. This is why the church has been floundering. Because the enemy that is there is not being recognized. And there's no better way to deceive and to destroy than to put yourself out there and nobody knows you're even there. This is the tragedy of our world today. And yes, there are some who overplay this and they, like Flip Wilson, say, well, the devil made me do it. They're using that for an excuse so that they can do what they want. But you see, on this other side, there are people, well-meaning people, who do not believe in his existence and don't even realize the effect he's having on their world and what he can do to each one of us. And today, as we look at this passage, we see Jesus. In the way Satan works, he works on our basic needs first. This is how devil does, does it. Jesus, 40 days in the desert, in the wilderness, alone, battling Satan's attacks. Without any food and water. His basic need is hunger. And look what happens. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus was. And the tempter came and said to him, if, if you are the Son of God. Now what is he doing? He is mocking what God just said. Jesus had been baptized and he said, you are my loved son. And Satan is saying, Really? Look at where you are right now. You're starving. You're hungry. He hasn't met your needs. Are you really his son? He's mocking God's words to him. And then he says, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Satisfy your desire, your hunger. See, that's what Satan does to us. He tempts us right at our point of need. I had a gal come to me one time and she went to a, a place on the East Coast with her friends. The only thing is she made a mistake in her travel plans and she had to stay an extra night. She thought they were staying until Monday. Instead, they all flew back on Sunday and she was alone. And she grew up very fearful of being left alone because she was abandoned as a child. And so she went down to the bar just to have a drink. And this smooth guy came up and talked to her and made her feel comfortable and at peace. And she had a few more drinks. And all of a sudden she was at his room. And you know what happened. 
she gets back and she comes to me, skips work the second day and is in tears by what she has done and how she offended God. She never meant for it to happen that way, but it did. See, he attacks us like he did Jesus with basic healthy needs to do something we should not do. And notice what Jesus does. He says to him, it is written. He takes him to the word. Right to Deuteronomy where God had fed the Israelites. Man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He cuts right through to the case and chops down Satan's strong temptation to him. You see, Satan will do that to you. He will come at you when you're tired. Maybe you're hungry. You can be very vulnerable at those times. And it's easy. And see, this is what he wanted to do. He wanted Jesus to use his power to satisfy himself. And this is where Jesus draws the line and says, no, I'm not going to do that. Because that would not be pleasing to the Father. It would be wrong for me to try to satisfy my desires by just whipping something up or turning stones into bread. Even though he was vulnerable. Even though he was lonely. Even though he was hungry. He wouldn't do that. Rather than he quotes, it is written. It's not happening. Not in my house. You're not coming in there. I'm done with you. This is a way we need to battle, folks. We see again, the devil comes to him in the holy city and sets him on the tabernacle, on the temple. And he says to him, if you are the son of God again, he's doubting what God said, trying to throw that into Jesus' mind. Throw yourself down, for it is written, Satan now is going up a notch. And he's quoting scripture, Psalm 91. Well, this is what God says to you. He'll, he'll heal you. God says he will protect you if you throw yourself down off this temple. And man, you could make a great impact in Israel. Most of the people will come and follow you if they see you jump off and Land safely and the angels catch you before you fall. See, Satan is trying to draw Jesus in. And then Jesus says to him, Again it is written, Satan, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. If Satan really wanted to bring Jesus down. To get him to give in to one of these babies. So that he could prove. 
You see, how does he have enough nerve to tempt Jesus, the Son of God? Because Satan was really high in God's order. If you read in Ezekiel the description of Satan, chapter 36, he was the big angel. God set him above all the other angels and he was in power. And that's when he led the rebellion because he didn't, he wanted the power. He wanted to be in place of God. That's why he's tempting Jesus. And Jesus again says, no. And folks, believe me, we need to fill your heart. If you're struggling with something in your life and, and it's a temptation to you, you memorize scripture around that baby. And you really continue to javelin it with prayer. Prayer is such a powerful thing. Many of us neglect that. It's kind of like I was reading the story. It's a true story. Down in Texas, a little church next door to a bar, and the bar decided to step up their program and have women dancing naked. And they began to pray, and one of the guys said, Lord, please burn that place down. So we're not even next to us anymore. And two weeks later, they had a short in their wiring, and the thing burned down. The owner of the bar brought suit against them because that they prayed that. And wanted a settlement because his bar was destroyed. And of course, the judge, when he heard it, the people in the church were denying it was their fault. And the bartender was saying, yes, it was. And the judge summarized the statement when he said, isn't it amazing, but the bartender believes in prayer and the people of the church don't. You see, folks, we need to believe in the power of prayer and scripture to battle these things. You see, God is at work. And he will give you the victory. He wants to give you the victory. But many of us are misguided. We don't understand and we're confused. That's what he's doing with many of the things that are going on in our society today. He is confusing people's minds. And putting all kinds of crazy thoughts in their minds. And then the third temptation comes. Again, the devil took him to the high mountain and showed him the kingdom of the world. And he said that all these, you see, he wants Jesus to think he can shortcut. Not have the suffering, not have the pain, not the struggle on this life. And him as the prince and power of the air says, I'm going to offer this to you. And again, Jesus declares himself to him. So do you know who I am? I'm the son of God. And you shall worship the Lord God, me. Him only are you to serve. And with that, Satan leaves him. Folks, we need to really dig deep in our souls and let the Holy Spirit work in our hearts because he wants you. He wants your family. He wants to bring destruction to this society. 
And we need to have strong families in the church. Strong people in the church who actually believe and trust God no matter what. And believe in his prayer that he's given us to talk to him and be empowered. And actually believe what he says in 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that's in you than this one who's malign, evil being throughout this world. It's greater in you. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit within you to break it. Oh, he wants us to please other people. Jesus could have done this and would have pleased a lot of people, but he wasn't doing the Father's will. So we come to the point where the devil sleeks away, kind of hides his head. He doesn't get Jesus to do what he wants. And notice what it says, the devil left him. And behold, the angels came and were ministered to him. This is the beauty. When we trust Christ and that we depend on his right way, we receive blessings as Jesus does from the angels ministering to him. But <laughs> it doesn't end, folks. In Luke's gospel, Luke in preparing the disciples and preparing the world and Christians, look what he says at the end of his portrayal of the episode with Jesus being tempted. He says, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And what he did... He left Jesus for a while, but he continued to come back. And we know as you read the gospel, we see him use his disciples. We see him use all kinds of experiences to get Jesus off track. And we should not be surprised that he'll do the same for us. And that we have to download and be ready. Because it happens. And you see, we don't need to use any excuses. Because our brothers and sisters here and all throughout the world experience the same temptations. And yet don't fall. This is Paul's argument to the Corinthians who were being bombarded with all their past sins an opportunity to quench their desires. He says, no temptation has overtaken that is not common to men. We all experience these temptations. But look what he says, God is faithful. When we lean on him, and we put our faith and trust in him, we can conquer this. And that God will not allow you to be tempted. This is... How he protects you. That he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what your capabilities are. That you think, oh, I can't do... Yes, you can. In Christ, you can. 
You can't do it, but Christ can do it in you. It's whether or not you want him to do that. And that you will get on your knees and trust him to do that. Because you will be tempted at times beyond what you're able to bear. But that's when the Holy Spirit kicks in and there's nothing. Jesus has already won that victory in there. He had everything the devil had to throw at him. And he was completely perfect. That's why we can go to him and he can protect us. And that even when we're tempted beyond what our own ability is, it doesn't matter. We have the ability and power of God in us. And with that temptation, he says, he'll give us a way out. A way to escape it. A way to walk through it. And away from it. That's what he promises. One of the best ways is to keep our eyes, our focus on Christ. In the military, and also some of you know in police departments, there are canine units. They train dogs, and it's powerful. One trainer would make sure his dog that he trained truly did what he wanted him to do. He didn't want him biting somebody he shouldn't or going off on his own. A very strict trainer. And oftentimes at the end, Caught the dog who was hungry sitting before his trainer and he put a nice slab of raw meat below his face and that dog was supposed to sit there and not eat that and what did that dog do? All his dog learned to look at him. And even though they could smell the sense of that steak, they kept their eyes on him and did not look down at the steak and waited and waited. And then when the master said, okay, Go down and eat that piece of meat. That's how well trained. And for us, that's what it's about. Keeping our eyes on Christ. We sing that beautiful home. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what he calls us to do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you today for this wonderful day that we can celebrate mothers. But also too, Lord, we've heard from your word today and that we can 
be men and women of God who can stand against the wiles of the devil as we grow in our faith. We trust you through your word and keep our eyes focused on you that you can give us the victory. I pray for each and every person here today that, Lord, you bless them with that strength of looking to you and conquering the temptations and in the trials of life. And it's through your precious name, Jesus, I pray this. Amen. Please rise for the final benediction and our closing song. And now may the light of God be upon you, that your Father who loves you and has provided you the forgiveness and the strength, may he fill you with the Holy Spirit to give you victory every day. Amen. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He has done great things. He has done great things. He has done great things. Bless his holy 